you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious. Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Welcome, everyone. I am thrilled to be having a conversation with Tara McMullen today to discuss her new book titled, What Works? A Comprehensive Framework to Change the Way We Approach Goal Setting. The book challenges the lessons we've learned about goals and productivity through culture and proposes a radical shift to structuring our lives around practice rather than achievement. For those of you who don't know Tara, I feel like everyone should know you, Tara. I've been a fan of her work ever since I got introduced to it. Tara McMullen is a writer, podcaster, and producer. For over 13 years, she studies small business owners, how they live, how they work, what influences them, and what they hope for the future. She's the host of What Works, a podcast about navigating the 21st century economy with your humanity intact. Tara is also the co-founder of Yellow House Media, a boutique podcast production company. Her work has been featured in Fast Company, The Startup, The Muse, and The Huffington Post. I will just say, Tara's wisdom has helped me tremendously on my own journey of self-employment. In particular, Tara, you've helped me rethink and be okay with how I want to approach my business and, dare I say, figure out what works for me. (laughs) So with that, Tara, welcome to the show. Oh, Kathy, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you here today. And I'm so excited about this conversation. And again, we're talking about your new book that is about to come out called What Works? A Comprehensive Framework to Change the Way We Approach Goal Setting. And to start, Tara, I thought it would be helpful to share the context around what led you on your own journey to unpack and uncover this new approach. Like what was actually happening in your own life that made you realize that the traditional way you had been and then that we have all been looking at goals just wasn't working for you anymore? Yeah. So, I mean, I I always call myself an anxious overachiever. There's never been a merit badge or a trophy or an accolade that I didn't want, right? Um, If I know that it's out there, I'm going to want to go go get it. I am extremely achievement oriented. And that's how I ran my business for the first five, six years, seven years. I don't know, for for the whole first part of it. Um, And I achieved in that time more than I had ever dreamed possible. I mean, I had no dreams of this life, basically, uh, growing up or, you know, even after, after school, I didn't know any of this was was possible, largely because it really wasn't. Um, That's how old, that's the age that I am. Um, But in the process of achieving all of those things, I found myself continually striving for the next thing, and then the next thing after that, and then the next thing after that. And each time I'd hit a milestone, each time I'd meet a goal, I realized that I was feeling still pretty unfulfilled, unsatisfied. Um, But more than that, I was starting to feel really broken. And and starting to is is kind of, that's not entirely accurate. I was starting to feel broken around the things that I actually thought were strengths of mine. uh, I was feeling broken around all the things I knew it was going to take for me to go out and get that next goal, to reach that next level of success. I just didn't feel like my personality was built that way. I didn't feel like my neurology was built that way. I didn't feel like it was available to me. And that was really disheartening, dispiriting. Um, And it kind of led to this, this question of, well, I wonder if it's possible to change one's personality. Can I become more outgoing? Can I become more extroverted? Can I become more comfortable meeting new people, uh, taking big risks? 
could I learn a new way of showing up in the world? Could I become essentially someone very different <laughs> from the person who'd gotten that far in life uh, just so that I could get to the next the next step? And the research on that was not promising. The, the, you know, there's some things you can adjust. There's some things you can learn and change. But like a wholesale uh, personality transplant, it's not really in the cards. Um, and I started to wonder, well, if my personality isn't built for these particular goals, and if that means that I'm feeling broken, I'm feeling miserable, I'm feeling unsatisfied in these really profound ways, um, maybe it's not me <laughs> that's the problem. Radical idea, right? Uh, maybe it's not me that's the problem. Maybe it's these systems that I have been kind of working with in terms of planning, goal setting, dreaming big, making my visions for the future, right? What if those things are the problem? And I didn't know at that time what that meant, how that might look. Uh, I didn't know why that, that they might be the problem, but I started to get to the point where I was just at the end of my rope thinking, okay, well, maybe if it's not me, maybe it's this other thing. And so that's where I was when I started to think, okay, what would it look like to not set goals this year? What would it look like to not have a smart goal for this quarter, for this project, for, uh, you know, what would it not, what would it look like to not have a specific revenue target to hit for the year? And I really, I, I guess part of me thought uh, I would just be spinning my wheels. And in, a, in effect, that was sort of what I did, except that I realized that the process of spinning my wheels was actually a process of building habits, building practices, building routines. And that as long as I was keeping my eye on making sure that those practices and habits were feeding me in a way that made me feel good, made me feel useful, made me feel like I was growing and exploring and being curious in new ways, that that sort of cyclical approach to my life and to my work and to the way I built my business was actually a way of working in a, in a mode that I didn't think I had the capacity for. Like, I didn't think I was one of those people who could just, you know, kind of little bit by little bit sustainably move forward. I thought I was sort of the sprint and achieve kind of person, right? But what I realized in that process of building those practices and those habits is not only was I growing and exploring in, in new and kind of cool ways, but I also felt way more satisfied like I could look back at a week and say, I I did all of the things I was supposed to do. I, I went through my habits. I feel really good about the progress that I've made this week because I just followed through on those habits. I followed through on those practices. And that's when things really started to shift for me. And when I started sharing that with other people, just sharing just like the most basic parts of what has become the book, I heard from so many people, oh my gosh, tell me how you're doing this. What does this look like? How do you actually approach this? And so I realized that I needed to start thinking about what am I actually doing? What is this process? Um, and so the last five, six years have really been this very iterative process of understanding what's working for me, understanding um, what other challenges uh, other people have, and then what is going to what might work for them, and really teasing it apart until I had what is sort of loosely defined as a system, or as the book subtitle says, a comprehensive framework. Um, <laughs> but what is really just sort of the story of deconstructing my relationship with goals and then reconstructing it in a way that I found much more satisfying to me and for hundreds of other people that I've shared it with over the last few years. 
Mm, thank you for all of that. And it's there's so many elements that are resonating with me. And I want to I'm going to come back to the practices part of it. But before we get there, you know, you start the book with this deconstruction and really helping us understand what gets many of us tripped up around gold setting and the outside forces at work that create what I might say are like these problematic drivers of our mindsets and behaviors. And I'm going to way oversimplify this, Tara, here in terms of like what you have in the core, like upfront of the book. But in short, I'm going to say like we get caught up in what you call like the shoulds and the supposed tos and the societal constructs and structures that really influence how we think and behave and lead to what you call like this validation spiral. Mm -hmm. And I kind of am curious for you too, like around that, like, you know, achievement is a value. And I'll be curious as part of this conversation to understand like, oh, did you, do you still think that that actually is a value for you? Or was, were you yourself kind of caught up in this validation spiral? And so I'm curious around this upfront of the book, like what's really important here for people to kind of understand about these external influences to help us kind of break free from them? Yeah. I mean, I think you kind of nailed it when you, when you, simplified it to the shoulds and supposed tos. I mean, I really, I spend, I don't know how many thousands of words, <laughs> you know, complexifying that, right? Making it more complicated. But when it all comes down to it, we live with this internal monologue, most of us do anyway, this internal monologue of things we should be doing more of, things we should be doing differently, things we should be doing instead of the other things that we're doing. We're supposed to have bought a house. We're supposed to have gotten married. We're supposed to have had kids. We're supposed to, you know, all of these these things. Um, and those shoulds and supposed tos are largely um, messages that we've learned from the media, from marketing, from school, from the workplace, from politics, from uh, just kind of culture at large. So the TV shows that we watch, the music that we listen to, right? There are shoulds and supposed tos embedded in all of that. And even when they're not explicit, we internalize them and let them shape our story because that's how culture works, right? We are kind of co-creating our own stories inside of this larger cultural milieu that we all exist in, right? Um, and so when, uh, as part of that, as, as part of kind of internalizing those shoulds and supposed tos and building our own stories around them, our own values, our own desires are co-opted by the same systems that put those things there, right? And so we end up making decisions based on our shoulds and supposed tos and attributing them to our personal values, to our goals, to our vision for ourselves, uh, the things that we think we might like to experience in the world. I'm not saying that all of us are always, you know, living in someone else's story, living in a story that's been put in our heads. I'm not saying that at all. But I think by and large, uh, the unexamined life is one that is largely influenced, heavily influenced by the culture outside of us. And when that is the case, we end up picking up on these ideas of, what goals we're supposed to be setting, what um, we're supposed to be doing at work, what work is even supposed to look like, what our family life is supposed to look like, what our economic, our financial life is supposed to look like. And without very closely examining that, without deconstructing it, we end up just perpetuating that status quo, right? Um and and so the book for me and the whole process really is a is an invitation to rethink all of those things to simply say okay my head is saying i should be doing this i'm supposed to be doing that um but why where did that should actually come from where did that supposed to actually come from what messages have i received that have made me feel that that is the next thing for me and so um, 
when I, when we start to unpack those things, we can have a lot more control over uh, actually expressing what we do want and following paths that are actually interesting to us rather than the things that we've just sort of learned and internalized from culture. Yeah, thank you for that and for explaining all of that. I think, you know, what comes up often when I talk with people of late is this idea that because we get into these socialized norms, it's very easy, like you're saying, that we lose ourselves, right? And Mihai Chik sent Mihai, I'm going to say his, I think I might've gotten that right. Oh, and yeah. Flo <laughs> actually has a really great quote around this in, in that, you know, if we aren't really examining our lives, like you're saying, it's very easy for us to to essentially lose ourselves and not be able to guide our own action. And so, you know, the fact that you're bringing this forward and kind of asking people to kind of do that self-examination to ask that why I think is really powerful and really helpful so that, and you write about this, this, this idea that people, again, do lose themselves in this. And yet sometimes, and I'm curious if you have ever had anybody express this to you, Tara, that sometimes people don't want to take responsibility or they get <laughs> nervous about it. Or, you know, I'll just admit, I was talking with a friend back in July and she said, you know, I'm a little too scared to ask myself what I really want. I'm afraid I'm going to, I'm not going to like the answer. And I was really floored by it, to be honest with you. So do you hear that at all where people get a little bit nervous? Like you do say, like, and I think it's a little bit easier if you have these guardrails that kind of guide you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of, one of my favorite lines in the book that I wrote. Um, it's about how the goals that we set, these shoulds and supposed to kind of targets that we set, represent a chance at an easier life. They represent a chance at things becoming a little less full of friction, right? We set goals because they maybe represent a level of freedom that we don't currently have. They represent a level of stability that we don't currently have. They represent a level of certainty that we don't have access to, right? And so, yeah, it's real scary <laughs> to start unpacking these things and recognizing that the things that are maybe most important to you are not the things that are most financially valued by society or that represent the family structures that are most recognizable to our culture and our communities, right? There's all sorts of different ways that this, this acts on us. But when we start thinking about, okay, what do I actually want? It tends to mess with how we relate to, to the institutions that we're part of, to the culture that we live in, definitely to the economy, and to the, the, the politics and governance of the nation that we live in. It really is destabilizing. The, the systems don't want us <laughs> to, to examine this stuff, right? Because it's, it's better for uh, the, the level of sort of discipline that a massive uh, uh, nation, a massive country is trying to create in the populace if we all are kind of playing by the same rule book, right? Things get really hairy when we're not playing by the same rule book anymore. And we absolutely feel that when we start asking questions that maybe we weren't supposed to be asking in the first place. Now, and this is one of the things I wanted to get your perspective on, because I've been really looking at this idea of structure versus agency. Mm. And, you know, you don't end up setting it up directly in the book, Tara, this like very, um, you know, putting them side by side, like structure versus agency, but you talk about both mm -hmm. throughout certain chapters. And I've really, you know, this really is this debate in social science around this like primacy of one over the other, like, mm -hmm. do we, you know, 
have to follow structures or can we follow our own agency? And I've actually danced with this in my own life where I've kind of been struck by these moments where I'm like, well, hey, I'm, I'm going to give you like two examples. So once in business school where I went to business school and in business school, I was like, look, grades don't matter. I worked hard in undergrad. I, I don't have to work hard here. They're not going to ask for my transcripts. So I still cared. I wanted to achieve, but I just didn't kill myself. And mm-hmm. then I also was like, you know, and I'm not going to do clubs, if, you know, just to do clubs. But then I got halfway through the semester and I was like, oh crap, if I want to get an internship, I better have something on my resume that demonstrates that I'm active in the community. <laughs> so I was more <laughs> in business school because I'm like, I want to explore my curiosities. I'm taking classes over in, you know, the city planning school and I'm taking it like, I'm exploring yet again what I should have done in undergrad more, I guess. I was exploring, using business school to go explore some more. And yet these realities of the constructs that we need to operate in The second example you talk about in the book, and I literally just had this conversation with somebody last week, was around social media and Mm. the sense of like, but Kathy, for your posts to really get attention and to get engagement, you have to write it like this. And I'm just like, I hate this stuff. You know, so I'm like looking (laughs) and I love what you do on social media and I love how you approach it. But like, there's just this resistance, right? There's this like, hey, this is not who I am. But yet for me to succeed in this structure of the world, you know, with 8 billion people on it, like, you know, I, with this one individual, am I going to be able to completely shift things? So how do you kind of dance with this between this idea of kind of like, okay, I definitely believe in personal agency and yet I also need to dance with fitting into and succeeding in some of these structures that, you know, for me to succeed, I do have to kind of figure out a way to operate with them. Yeah, I love this question um, and also have no good answer to it. But um, (laughs) I love that you use the word dance because I think that that's a really uh, great way to describe what is for me the sort of balancing act between agency and structure. Um, you know, I I interviewed uh, Paca de Leon earlier this year for my podcast. She's, um, she's a bookkeeper and sort of a, a financial expert. She had a great book out um, called Finance for the People. And we, one of the things we talked about is how money is a delusion. And I'm reading David Graeber's great book, Debt, The First 5,000 Years right now too. And, and he really gets into this as well. But, you know, we money is this funny thing where we can say, no, this is like totally make-believe. And also if we don't take it seriously, we can't eat, we won't have shelter. Like there's there's no way we can't take it seriously. And so I kind of think about this in the same way in that the structures that are all around us are completely made up and they're completely, it is completely necessary to take them seriously um, because, you know, we got to eat, we need shelter, we need, you know, we have these material needs. Um and so, yeah, so I'm always balancing what do I want? What do I personally need um, out, outside of those structures? What do I need as a human being? Um, what do I want as a human being? What do I want uh, in terms of my relationship to the wider community? And then what do I need to exist in the structures that are all around us. What does that look like? What am I willing to compromise on and what am I not willing to compromise on? So like for this year, for example, this dance has been very top of mind for me because I basically took an entire year off from making money. (laughs) Um, So our podcast production agency, which my husband predominantly runs, um, makes great revenue. You know, it's not like, it's not like I just stopped making money. There's money coming in, but I am not personally responsible for nearly any of it this year. Um, I have a book advance. I had some savings to draw down on, but I really needed to take a year where I was just focused on 
creating uh, and thinking and writing and just really recovering from what was a, a sort of a five-year stint of just running myself into the ground um, in ways that I didn't fully comprehend until it was over. Um, and so, yeah, so this year it's it's sort of been like, okay, how how do I balance the activities that I want to do desperately? How do I balance the activities that I know I need to do or the activities I need, know I need to not do versus what uh, sort of groundwork am I laying for the next thing that is going to produce some income because that would be good, right? <laughs> like that would be necessary. Um, and 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 what, you know, what does that look like for me in, in light of all of the agency stuff, right? So it's it's really, it is a, just a weird balancing act for me, a re- weird dance for me. Um, and I think that, you know, it is important to take those structural pieces seriously. Um, and I think there's also some really interesting research. I don't think this made it into the book. Um, no, it definitely didn't because it didn't, fit. But um, there's some really interesting research um, by a sociologist named Lindsay De Palma. And she coined the term the passion paradigm. (laughs) And um, essentially what she's looking at is the number of people who are willing to trade doing work that they love, work that they're passionate about, for work that pays well, that meets their material needs. So something like 80s, percent of the people that she surveyed believed that loving your work was more important than work that paid well which is a really That's big number high. it's <laughs> wow nuts and she she even says in the paper like uh that I wasn't expecting this <laughs> um but I think it really it really speaks to this idea of the dance in that um one of the ways that we think we're kind of uh, opting out of the system is by accepting this message of, well, I'm going to do work that I love. And then it doesn't matter how much money I make. Well, no, it does matter how much money you make. It matters that you have benefits. It matters that you have paid vacation. It matters that you have access to the infrastructure of work and all that that means in our society. And if you want to do work that you love, like, Cool. I think we can all support that. Um, but it, it has to be a balance. And we have to think about those things in balance in order to direct our lives uh, in a way that means that our needs are getting met and that we are making choices really consciously. And, and so I guess to, to wrap up that very long ramble, it's the conscious decision-making that's most important to me. If I am making a decision to do something, you know, that the, the the systems want me to be doing, right? If I'm doing some, if I'm choosing to take that sort of status quo option, I want to know that I've thought about it, right? It's not a default. It's not just a reflex. I want to know that I thought about it. And I want to know that I laid out all the the options and that what I'm choosing, I'm choosing for a reason. And it doesn't really matter what that reason is. What matters is that I'm choosing it, right? I love that. I love that. Yeah. Well, before I come back to practice and, you know, those elements, I also want to just ask you about identity because Mm. you do speak about identity in the book. You talk about becoming And one of the things that I find really interesting around at least sustainable ambition and when people are kind of wrestling with maybe make, it's actually around making these choices, Tara, Mm -hmm. which is I have competing ambitions and, you know, I am stepping away from, you know, being really intent about my work now and I am really wanting to put more attention, just as one example, right, towards, I mean, it could even be like myself, towards my creative work or Mm -hmm. for other people, like towards my family. Of course, so many people go through this. 
both women and men, right? Like I need Mm -hmm. to pull back here because the reality is this is requiring my attention. And yet when they're making those choices, there's a lot of tension there. (laughs) And a lot of people really struggle with it and getting comfortable with balancing those ambitions. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Like how have you come across or for even for yourself gotten comfortable with making some of those trade-offs and those choices? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the ways that I've gotten more comfortable with those trade-offs is recognizing that not everything has to happen right now. (laughs) And I know that that's like, such a simple answer, but it's, and it's something that I think we all know, obviously not everything has to happen right now, but when we're talking about the decision-making process, we often forget that, right? We forget that we don't have to go after the promotion and try to get pregnant and buy a house all at the same time, right? Uh, If those are all things that we want, then clearly we should just be going after all of them right now. No. That is not sustainable. One of the things I talk about in the book is is strategy. And the idea that strategy is sort of like um, a trail map where you have options all the time. There's so many different ways to get to where you're going, right? And so I can choose to focus on one thing for now. It doesn't mean I'm not going to do the other things. It doesn't mean that... Um, those things aren't important to me, that they're not central to my identity, um, but that they're just not the focus right now. And that to me has been a really freeing thing. Like I don't need to, well, just going back to this last year that I've had, I don't need to try to rebuild my company and write a book at the same time. Let me write a book. See how that feels. Try my hand at some freelance writing. Really focus on the podcast. What does that look like? And now start thinking about what does the next phase of my career slash my business look like? I took a year. I'm I let that 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 time that creative energy really marinate. And now I'm starting a little bit to feel more ready to think about that next chapter um, and and starting to take some steps in that direction. If I would have tried to do them both at the same time, I would not have done either of them very well. My resources would have been uh, spread way too thin. I would have been putting way too much pressure on myself. And it just, it was not realistic. And that's one of the other things that um, I really love talking about from the book is that, you know, People have asked me for years, long before this process ever came came together, you know, is, Tara, is the goal that I'm setting realistic? It's like any goal can be realistic, but it's realistic based on the resources you have access to, not on the goal itself. So the goal and the resources have to match up. And often when it comes to those choices and strategy and like figuring out which trail you're going to take to get to your destination, we have to think about resources. If not first, like right after we think about what we would really love to be doing, right? We have to think, do I have the resources for this right now? Do I have the resources to do this as well as I'd like to do this, right? So if it's, you know, Uh, the choice between focusing on career or focusing more on family. What resources do you have access to? Which decision based on those resources is better to make now? And which one is better to put off for a couple of years, right? Saying yes to something does not mean saying no to something else necessarily. The yes is just for now. The yes is in this present moment so that we're allocating our resources as as effectively as possible. I was going to say efficient, but let's not go there. Effectively as possible. Um, And when that, you know, when you are able to allocate your resources, then you are able to do things to the level in which you want to be doing them, which makes you feel way more satisfied, which then makes you feel much less in need of validation. And you feel less of that pressure to constantly 
be doing more and juggling all of those different things. Mm. I love that. Thank you for all of that. I, you know, in the interest of time, like I kind of want to go down a a rabbit hole with you there, but I might just come back to it a little bit later because I do want to come back to some of the orientations you make in the book and how you reframe a couple of things. And you already mentioned them earlier. So you, you make like an important shift, for example, from achievement to practice. And then you also reframe away from goals towards commitments. And what you described earlier too, Tara, that I thought was really interesting was how you're like, huh, and actually starting to kind of find my way to some of these reorientations, I actually realized that I was more satisfied or that I was also operating in a way that was like you actually said something like, I didn't know I could function this way. Um, and, and it almost was like, it was an honoring of yourself and that the previous way of operating was not an honoring of yourself. So, but I'm wondering if you can just like introduce to people like a little bit more around like these orientations of like moving towards practice, which it kind of sounded like you found somewhat naturally and then moving away from goals towards commitments. Like what is that? What do, what do these kind of reframes really mean? Sure. Um, so for me, achievement is all about, you know, it is getting the merit badge, right? It is getting the trophy. It's hitting that particular milestone that you've that you've chosen. And it's all about that end goal, uh, that end state that we are hoping for in the future. And there's there's a real usefulness, right, to planning around that sort of um, clear outcome. And it tends, when we choose those goals, um, I don't want to use the word improperly, but no other word is coming to me right now. When we choose those goals, those achievements that we're going after that don't align with our values, don't align with what we want out of life, it we end up prone to action and behavior that also isn't in alignment with our goals and, and what we want for ourselves and our lives. Practice, on the other hand, instead of being future focused is really about being present with what's in front of you and recognizing that every choice you make is a choice to practice the values that you have to practice what you doing what is right for you and what is right for your community in that moment um and so it, for me it's about recognizing too that not every victory has to be a major achievement, right? Sometimes just responding to an email that's, you know, really bumped up against some boundaries of mine with a solid, like, you've bumped up against my boundaries. To me, that is, that's practice, but it's also a huge victory, Right. And I'm, I am taking things specifically like these, these are actually things <laughs> that I do. Right. Um, and so, and actually that kind of leads me to commitments as well. So um, this was a big practice for me last year. One of my commitments was to practice belonging. And one of the ways that practice belonging um, sort of manifested for me was not shying away from conflict, not conflict as in like, fighting, but conflict as in like not being exactly what somebody wants me to be at every moment of the day. Right. And so that might mean receiving an email that's, you know, someone is asking me for something in one way or another and recognizing one, I can say no Two, I can say why it's a no and three, I can redirect them maybe to like, how could how could this be different in the future? Sending that kind of email or, or responding that way in a conversation is really hard for me because I think that if I proceed with the conflict, they're all going to leave me, right? I have severe abandonment issues. <laughs> that was the practice belonging piece. And so being able to then send the email 
recognize, oh, they did not leave me. It's fine. Everyone's very happy, right? Whatever it might have been. Um, that then kind of reinforces the next time when I need a little bit of conflict or when I need to maybe just make an ask that I'm not comfortable making, I feel a little more prepared. And I know that if I continue to work that muscle, if I continue to practice it, that I'm going to become the kind of person who is able to uphold my own boundaries, to say no when I need to say no. And that that is an identity that is going to help me do the things that I want to do in life. Right. Um, so, so the achievement to practice and then commitments help me practice. Basically they're, rem they're the reminders. These are the things that I'm working on right now. These are the things that I'm practicing on a daily basis. So practicing belonging, you know, that could be showing up to a networking event. It could be sending a difficult email. It could be asking for help. It shows up in all sorts of different ways in my life. But after a year of practicing it, there are a lot more things that I'm comfortable with now than I was at the beginning of 2021. Um, and so kind of, so kind of reframing from goals to commitments means that I'm not focused on whether or not I hit this thing, hit this target. I'm focused on, did I act today? Did I behave today in the way that I wanted to behave? Did I meet the situation the way I wanted to meet it? Did I live up to my own expectations for myself and who I want to become? That's a that's a life changing. Oh, it's been a life changing transformation for me, um, and it has created some very substantive results in my life as well. And I didn't have that sort of specter hanging over my head of like, are you going to hit this goal or not? Right. I didn't feel that kind of pressure. It was just a daily practice. Thank you for sharing all of that. And it's really interesting because what's coming to me as you're saying that is this idea of being and doing. And I don't mm -hmm. know if you intend it this way, Tara, but one of the things that I was trying to do, and I don't, again, this, I didn't know if you intended this, which was I was trying to make things linear because that's my linear process-oriented brain <laughs> wanting yeah. to be like, okay, you do, you consider your vision and your values, and then those lead you to your commitments, and then your commitments lead you to your strategic priorities, and then your strategic priorities lead you to your projects. And I don't know if that's how you intend it, and you're kind of starting to shake your head, <laughs> and I, so I'm kind of <laughs> curious. And so it is, it's interesting. Interesting, this idea, because my sense is that what you're describing in terms of like practice and commitments is almost, it's coming to me as I'm reflecting on what you're saying, that's like, there's a way of being in the world and becoming in the world and your practicing and commitments help in that and being able to show up that way. That is also, as you were saying, like is more in alignment with who you are almost like provides the fuel, like you were even saying, like it's, it, it, it came through in the book, the sense of like, there are moments in time where you're almost more energetic than I'm, I, you know, because of some of the practices and things that you're doing that you might've almost been surprised by like, wow, I actually am excited about, you know, what I'm working on, or I have energy for this that I didn't anticipate. And it was more satisfying and fulfilling. And so it's interesting then though, that then you have strategic priorities and projects. So, and, and is that more of like the doing, am I kind of picking up on that correctly or? Yeah, I think so. I mean, <laughs> I, can think linearly. We were talking before we hit record um, that we're both kind of left brain thinkers. And I, I do identify as a left brain thinker for sure. Um, but my left brainedness tends to be more like network thinking, web thinking, which maybe is a right brain thinking thing. But I, I like webs and I like recognizing uh, variables in the webs. And so I teach the process linearly because that's there's there's no way to teach it as a web right like that's just one way that our language fails us right 
Um, but I think of it as a web and I think of always being within the process as something very um, iterative. It's a learning process, right? Um, and so then kind of thinking to this being and doing, I think you're exactly right. I think that, you know, considering vision and values and strategy and commitments, um, it does start from this sort of high level being and becoming place. And that's on purpose because it's one of the things that um, we skip because it's hard work. <laughs> it involves critical thinking. It involves like diving into places in our brain that we don't love diving into all the time. Um, and so we often skip it. We try to get right to the doing. We, you know, and we're we're conditioned to get right to the doing, right? What do I need to do to do this project? What do I, you know, what what course do I need to buy? What coach do I need to hire? What um, book do I need to buy so that I know how to do all the things that I need to know how to do? Like, cool it. Have you thought about whether all of that doing is actually supporting who you want to be and how you want to be in the world? It might be. Cool. But wouldn't it be great to know that? Like, wouldn't it be great to have that stuff all connected? So there is a linear aspect to it. There's, but there's also this kind of network, this web aspect to it where, you know, if you recognize that you've got to get some, some projects done that are maybe a little less focused on your vision for yourself and maybe a little bit more like, let's put some food on the table. That's fine. That's fine. And we can still tie that into how it's helping us become the people that we want to become. And we can adjust the commitments that we want to make, the things that we want to practice, the strategy that we're using based on meeting those particular needs first, and then come back and revisit um, you know, projects that might support our our being more, our becoming more. So yes, I think you picked up on it perfectly. Um, and I just needed to process it a little bit. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, I am going to encourage everyone to get the book. And, you know, I am curious, Tara, with you practicing this and kind of unpacking it over the last five or so years, as you've described, like, what is your life like now? You know, what's kind of been surprising to you? And, you know, where are you at in your own kind of growth journey? It's a great question. I am at the point now, or where I am right now, is really wanting to focus and having the ability to focus on doing deep work well. And that has been a big shift for me. I was the kind of straight A student that didn't have to work very hard to be a straight A student. And I was just really good at school. Like that was just, I was good at school. Like, I don't think I was necessarily that much smarter than anyone else who was getting straight A's. It was just that I was good at school. Um, and for a long time, I was just good at business too. I was just good at marketing. And in that, I knew what I could do to, to, to meet the goals that I had, but I wasn't ever really... I, I don't want to make it sound like I was half-assing it because I wasn't. But at the same time, because of how I was approaching it, because of my ways of working and being then... I was not able to fully focus on that deep work done well that I have the capacity to now. And it's largely because I've stripped out of my life and my work so many of the things that were pulling me in all the wrong directions. You know, things as, as silly as social media stuff, right? Like I post on social media, but I do not use social media like I used to. <laughs> I am not on there all day long. I can go days without opening Instagram or... Uh, no, I was going to say Twitter, but I can't go days without opening Twitter. That's a different story. Um, but I don't feel compelled by it anymore, right? I... I feel compelled by the work that I do that is the actual work 
that I create and put out into the world, as opposed to sort of all of these adjacent little things that look like performing the work. So, and I would say that that's true in across the board in my life as well. So it's not just work, it's home, it's hobbies, it's endurance training, right? Like just for me, you know, now, right now I'm working on a, a, a 50K uh, training program for, for running. Like I would have never, I would have not thought I could do that before I learned to reframe things through practice and through depth and through finding the resources to do what I want to do really well. So I hope that answered your question. That's to me, that's the biggest change in the last few years. Mm, mm, Love it. Well, thank you for sharing that. And to wrap up, I mean, this has been a fabulous conversation. I love the book. I knew this conversation would take it deeper as I told you at the beginning. Can you leave us with where can people find more about the book? And also Tara, do you just have a parting word for based on the framework, what you've learned, like if people were going to take one small step to get started around this, where might you point them? Yeah. I mean, I think that the the best place for anyone to start is just examining those shoulds and supposed tos. And I would even recommend, you know, starting a little journal, starting a file on your computer, write them down. Anytime you're, you feel your brain going in that direction of shoulds or supposed tos or like ruminating on that kind of thing, write it down. And then when you have time, come back to it and consider where did this come from? Why? Excuse me. Why do I think I'm supposed to be doing this? Why do I think I should be doing that? Um, And really get into where it comes from, what story it's perpetuating, how it... um, whether it's yours or not. Um, I think that's where this journey starts regardless. Um, and I, I think that whether you want to pick up the whole rest of the, the process, the framework or not, I think it's a really good thing to do. And I think it's a really helpful thing to do. And I think it'll change the way you interact with the rest of the world. Like, I really do think that that habit is, is huge. Um, so that's that's my action item. Uh, you can find out more about the book at explorewhatworks.com slash book. All the links to all the places you can buy the book are there, plus um, bonuses and all that good stuff. Um, and then the other place that you can find me is my podcast, which is called What Works. And it's all about navigating the 21st century economy without losing our humanity. Wonderful. I encourage everyone to listen to that as well as pick up the book. Tara, this has been wonderful. I knew this would be a great conversation. It didn't disappoint. I could talk to you for longer, but I really need to let you go. So thank you for this conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kathy. I loved it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.